My name is Steve Weissman. I'm a co-founder of the Energy Law Program at the University of California at Berkeley, and I'm currently a lecturer in that campus's Goldman School of Public Policy. As most of you are aware, April 22nd was Earth Day, and this year was the 47th edition of Earth Day. Uh, it was founded in the United States in 1970, and I can remember those events very clearly. At the time, I was at the University of Michigan, and on that campus, thousands of people went to this basketball arena on Earth Day and heard from politicians, activists, movie stars, and musicians about the significance of the day and the importance of taking action. Earth Day was actually a surprisingly effective organizing tool in the United States. It was around that period of time that most of the major statutes in the United States uh, affecting environmental protection were enacted. Probably most conspicuously for the purposes of this discussion was the Clean Air Act, which was a federal law which placed obligations on the states. It involved identifying unhealthy air pollutants and then putting limits on those emissions. Well, over the years, Earth Day arguably became a little bit more symbolic. You, you'd schedule beach cleanups or recycling efforts or have fairs or festivals to remind people of the importance of environmental protection. But this year is undoubtedly the most special Earth Day of all because Earth Day was probably not coincidentally the day that the Paris Climate Agreement was first available to, for signature and over 170 nations signed the agreement that day. Uh, I watched a live video of the signing of the, the Paris Climate Agreement along with students and faculty colleagues on campus, and it was perhaps surprisingly moving. Uh, many of the people watching were brought to tears uh, seeing this as such an important milestone in what for many people has been decades long or many year efforts to really move the climate conversation to a different level. We watched as the United States Secretary of State, uh, John Kerry, signed the agreement and we wondered, will the United States be able to confirm its commitment and confirm its participation? Well, I think the answer to that question has two elements. The first one deals with yet another question. Can President Obama confirm the United States commitment without getting a vote from the U.S. Congress? It's fairly clear that the current Congress, as it's composed and as it does its business, is not likely in any way, shape, or form to agree with uh, the United States' involvement in the agreement. President Obama thinks that he can confirm U.S. commitment even without going to Congress based on the fact that the U.S. has in the past committed in a formal way to its involvement in, in eventually developing the kinds of voluntary standards that were offered by so many of the member states in the conversations in Paris. And he argues that as an extension of that, he can firm up the U.S. commitment. Well, the second and perhaps even more critical question in terms of the effectiveness of signing and committing to, to that agreement in the United States is what will be the legal effect of President Obama's clean power plan? Now, as most of you know, this is 
a plan that addresses the high level of greenhouse gas emissions coming from coal-fired power plants and relying on provisions in that Clean Air Act that I referred to. It requires that each state to develop a plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from coal-fired power plants, either doing this directly by uh, finding a way to uh, reduce the use of coal-fired plants or use more efficient coal-fired power plants, or somewhat indirectly by capturing greenhouse gases before they are released to the atmosphere from the use of coal and sequestering those greenhouse gases on a semi-permanent basis. Or, even more indirectly, compliance can occur through aggressive development of energy efficiency programs or through the greater use of clean, cleaner fuels for the production of electricity outside of what's occurring at the coal plants. This plan, the Clean Power, the clean power Plan, uh, would be a major element of the United States' effort to comply with the Paris Agreement. The challenge is that about half of the states have gone to court to try to stop the plan. Currently, the matter is before a lower level uh, federal court, but the United States Supreme Court was asked somewhat recently to put a stop to the implementation of the plan while the case is proceeding through the lower courts. And the Supreme Court agreed to do that on a five to four vote along somewhat predictable lines with the more conservative, uh, less environmentally uh, motivated justices making up the five and the four more liberal or more environmentalist justices uh, being the dissenting four. They did issue an injunction stopping the implementation of the plan. And there are a couple of things to say about that. One is that from a practical standpoint, this is a largely symbolic act because the plan itself did not call for the states to even submit their proposed plans to the federal government for implementing the program until uh, several years from now. Uh, certainly by then, well before then, the court decisions will be made and the program will either continue or it won't. The second thing is that the Supreme Court's action is pretty much unprecedented. The Supreme Court does not tend to interfere with the implementation of new rules and programs uh, while court cases are pending. So this seems to indicate, at least on the part of the five justices that agreed to the injunction, that there was a lot of concern about the legality of this particular program, uh, and uh, or at least uh, a lack of sympathy for its implementation and a feeling that perhaps it should be stopped from ever going forward. Well, those impressions shifted, however, with the death of Antonin Scalia, one of the five justices on the U.S.'s top court, the Supreme Court, uh, who was involved in voting to enjoin uh, the implementation of the program. And his death throws into doubt a couple of things. One is whether the injunction will continue and also whether the court ultimately would find the Clean Power Plan to be legal. Currently, there is a vacancy on the court. The uh, Republican uh, members of the Senate are pretty much sticking to a plan, which is to 
uh, not uh, even consider the potential of confirming an Obama appointment to fill the vacancy on the Supreme Court. I believe that they're seeing this seat as being pivotal in terms of whether the court has a balance that is conservative or liberal. And I think the, the senators and the Republican senators are hoping against hope that uh, a Republican will prevail in the presidential elections this next fall and that, that they might be able to entertain confirming uh, a more conservative ninth justice to fill that empty seat. So this means that even though President Obama has uh, nominated a potential candidate to fill that seat, uh, that the Senate is largely unlikely to uh, entertain that nomination, at least until after the elections in uh, next November. Uh, if a Democrat wins, the Senate uh, goes back into session. Uh, either way, it goes back into session. But if a Democrat wins in November, then it's possible that the Senate would prefer to confirm Obama's appointee uh, rather than uh, take the chances that a new Democratic president might come up with a candidate that they would find to be even less favorable. So why might the Clean Power Plan be vulnerable? Uh, this really could come from one of two directions. One is that there's no doubt that a portion, the portion of the act that's relied upon by the administration, it's the Clean Power, it's the uh, Clean Air Act, uh, Section 111, Subpart D, is poorly drafted. There are actually are portions of that section that uh, are contradictory or inconsistent with each other. Uh, the Obama administration relied on an interpretation that moves in one direction. Uh, those that are contesting the law are relying on the opposite interpretation. And it's going to be up to the courts ultimately to figure out uh, whether or not uh, there, you can go on the basis of the, the likely intent of the Congress in passing the bill uh, and uh, in that way uh, come up with one solid interpretation or just to conclude that the law is self-canceling and that, and that there's no authority to work upon. Uh, the second issue being raised is often referred to as the beyond-the-fence compliance uh, uh, option that's provided in the rules. Conventionally, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency in implementing the Clean Air Act focuses specifically on what's happening, happening at a smokestack or happening at the uh, place where, where the uh, pollution is being released and considers the best available ways to reduce pollution at that location. In this case, for instance, uh, one approach would be to require the uh, operators of coal-fired power plants to use technology to capture and trap greenhouse gases before they escape the smokestack at a power plant and to securely store those, uh, those emissions long-term. In the alternative, if, if, the, uh, if it was not economic to use that technology, then uh, the polluter would be forced to just reduce the use of the power plants. That would be the normal approach to this. But the beyond-the-fence portion of the rule is that states are allowed to set up a compliance mechanism 
that would rely on things that don't directly have to do with the power plant at all. For instance, states could decide to more aggressively promote energy efficiency, and, uh, and if they can demonstrate energy efficiency savings, those could be used to credit or offset against some of the emissions occurring at the coal-fired power plants. A second approach would be to rely on, uh, for a utility to plan to rely more on the use of renewable generating resources, arguably displacing the use of either additional coal plants that might come on later or natural gas-fired plants, and thereby uh, arguably reducing the potential for later greenhouse gas releases coming from power plants. And, um, and the, the other option would be to build more power plants using alternative fuels such as natural gas that arguably, at least at the smokestack, have lower greenhouse gas emissions. And so the, the argument is that, that this, this ability to comply by doing things that don't directly have anything to do with the pollution that's at issue uh, is beyond the authority of the Environmental Protection Agency through the Clean Air Act. These are the arguments that are being made. I think there are strong arguments against uh, both of these propositions, but these are some of the challenges that the Environmental Protection Agency faces when going to the court. So far, it should be noted that in prior cases, the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed that the Clean Air Act does empower federal regulators to regulate greenhouse gas emissions once they've made a finding that there are health concerns related to greenhouse gas emissions, and that finding has already occurred. Well, let's imagine that the United States is unable to confirm its commitment to the Paris Climate Agreement, but that the Clean Air Plan, the Clean Power Plan, is allowed to move forward. Well, while this combination of events might be a critical blow for the Paris Agreement, it would lead to little, if any, differences in terms of the greenhouse gas emissions occurring in the United States. This is because the Clean Power Plan uh, would still be in effect and be would be designed to reduce emissions, but also because there are pervasive use, uh, this pervasive use of other programs in the United States such as renewable portfolio standards that create an obligation for power producers to uh, produce a certain amount of their electric generation from renewable sources, non-greenhouse gas emitting sources, and also because of the expanded use of energy efficiency techniques to reduce overall demand for the use of fossil fuels. In addition to that, there are some very important state-based climate policies, uh, such as the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative in the northeastern United States, where a number of states voluntarily have agreed to reduce emissions of greenhouse gases from power plants. They've established a cap-and-trade program and are enforcing those standards on a state-by-state -state basis. And also, there's the climate program in California, sometimes referred to as AB32, because that was the number for the implementing legislation that was passed in 2006. This empowered the State Air Resources Board to establish a program designed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions down to 1990 levels 
by the year 2020. The Air Resources Board was given a lot of discretion as to what tools to use to get there. And among those tools, it's chosen to have a cap-and-trade program. California is therefore subject to a cap-and-trade regime, as are portions of the polluters in the Northeast states. California has been working to uh, get other states and provinces within Canada to join with this effort. So far, British Columbia uh, the, and Ontario are involved, and there are a number of other states that have expressed strong interest. So as the state-based programs continue to grow, the ability of the United States uh, to overall reduce its greenhouse gas emissions, even if it does not end up committing, confirming its commitment to the uh, Paris Agreement, uh, is strong. Now, again, this, this would still be very devastating to the effectiveness of the international agreement and is not a preferred outcome by any stretch of the imagination. Well, it's going to be anywhere from one to two years before we know the outcome of the process concerning the Clean Power Plan. Hopefully, it's only going to be a couple of years uh, at the most before in future Earth Days celebrations we can focus on what people would see as a turning point in the world's resolve to address climate change and see it as the beginning of a firm binding commitment on the part of the United States to take responsibility for its enormous contribution to historical greenhouse gas emissions. We'll all be watching this with great interest.